Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. In today's episode, we discuss the psychologization of society and how true to human form, esoteric and advanced concepts are distorted into the opposite of their original intent. This dynamic also applies to the concepts of sympathy and empathy, which are distortions and dilutions of how the human heart operates when fully healed and open. In that spirit, Identity offers a new concept called resempathy as the needed solution. Thanks so much for listening. Greetings and welcome forward, everybody. And um, just before the record button, uh, Stace said, our conversations are, are best unplanned. And so we have three topics today, and then uh, both Stace and I each have some secret things we're going to bring to the conversations that I've, it's because what I find is if I tell you in advance, it's sort of like it takes some of the air out of it. And yes, it's, uh-huh, sure. it's, it's not mm-hmm. as alive and fun. Um, exactly. And so thank you for being here, Stace, and thank you all for listening. Uh, sympathy, empathy, and the uh, registered trademark pending term the identity uses um, res empathy today. And I thought what might be a cool entree into that is a friend of mine sent me a podcast that, and the topic was in that podcast, the, um, I'll use my word, the, uh, the psychologization of society. And it was talking specifically about how we bandy about terms like narcissism and mm. projection and um, processing. I once literally had a, a client who was part of a group that I was pushing to participate more in the group. This was, he was like late 20s, early 30s. He actually said that he couldn't participate more because he's an introvert and he would be psychologically damaged by participating more. Oh my God. Yeah. So I thought in this podcast, um, I forget the name of it, but it was a really great topic and um, a super interesting paradigmatic um, real-time dilution of a paradigm thing because psychology is, you know, 130 years old. Mm-hmm. And then it trickled into mainstream consciousness and now it's off to the races, as you so often say. Yes. Yeah, I saw a related article now that you mentioned that uh, where um, uh, it was uh, um, protesting the seepage of psychological processing adages and insights into intimate relationship and how that uh, that is not appropriate inside of intimate intimate relationship um, uh, um, other than the one thing of mirroring. Uh, so uh, uh-huh. that's that's a big exception and it's a reasonable one. Uh, but yeah, with this whole topic of, uh, of psychologization of, um, of relationships, exa- especially, is becoming uh, lukewarm now in our cultural mimetic uh, intercourse. Yeah, because so, like um, when it was the lower levels, it was like, well, you're, you know, when they had, when, when mass consciousness had like three terms, you know, like projection, narcissism, <laughs> and mirroring, like when that was all it was, it's fine. But, yeah. you know, since the DSM, you know, started getting uh, released as a PDF or something on the internet, now everybody yeah. is an expert. And, uh, yeah. I think we would say like it's not necessarily a bad thing. It depends on 
what aspect of the person is wielding the psychological information, right? And why? And why, <laughs> yes, which would go right to why. <laughs> what and why? So again, uh, so often modern society and the average CQ or consciousness quotient of planet Earth um, uh, be begins any conversation seeing the reality of the words and what they represent as the framework, not peeking behind the curtain and seeking out of which paradigm defines the words that they're using as the reality of the problem. Now, that sounded a little smoky, but um, it's really <laughs> a, 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 re a real problem because yeah. here's a great example of it as one of the things that got me onto today's topic. Uh, in, in, uh, where we live here in um, mid-coast uh, mid California, uh, uh, they're, they've just re been rehabbing and uh, bringing a, uh, uh, a really old structure in, uh, in our town to um, remodeling and wanting to bring a new presence of a spiritual focus, uh, not guru-led or paradigm-led, just an inquiry-based kind of uh, mm -hmm. dynamic. But they've, uh, they've started out the whole thing, framing it, I'll use my own word to describe it, the empathy project. Uh, <laughs> That's and, what you're calling it? Well, that's what I'm calling it. That's yeah. not what they call it, but they do use the word empathy. Oh. Uh, and, and this is what got um, got Bree and I's uh, interest up because... Oh, that's so funny. So, so that's so crazy because you proposed this topic of just these three words, and then I independently arrived at something that's the same damn thing, the psychologization <laughs> of society. That's so wild. Uh, well, Go on. We, we tend to swim in the same meta-human uh, waters uh, often at the same That's time. That's so funny. I was like, am I going to derail Stace? No, we're just the same damn topic. Go on, please. <laughs> anyway, anyway Bree, Bree got, uh, she doesn't have dandruff, but she got a lot of dandruff up over this uh, and asked me, is she interpreting this correctly? Uh, and what, what it was is uh, they gave an example of what they're doing content-wise inside this empathy project. And they're gathering people of, uh, of, um, uh, who have malevolence and or resistance to other people's value systems. They're looking at opposite value systems and they're gathered like MAGA life versus, um, well, everything well, else. <laughs> any, anything and everything else. Yes. Uh, it's very so, silent. It's a really good observation. Yeah. It's pretty much against everything right, else. Right. Yeah, exactly right. We were, there was really there was a congre congressman the other day that actually had finally admitted that white nationalists are racist, and this was a big deal, as if that wasn't already <laughs> known. It became news. Congressman admits that white nationals are racist. Wow, and water is wet, and there's shit in the woods. Tunes, oh film at 11. <laughs> at any rate, what, what they're doing in this, uh, really it's a beautiful uh, space, but what they're doing inside it uh, is that one group or per person in one side of the um, uh, a room, a paradigmatic room, uh, will say their viewpoint on this topic or that topic related to um, their worldview. Uh -huh. And uh, the other side then, what they do is they say all, all they do is what uh, what we heard. Each person on the other side says, well, what I heard was dot to dot to dot to dot and dot to dot to dot. And the other other side goes, yes, that's what I said. Then they move on to another yes, topic. Yes, and Marshall Rosenberg, the founder of Nonviolent Communication, gets a quarter every time somebody says something. <laughs> 
because that's what that is. is. There's no resolution. There's no looking at a deeper version of why you hold your worldview. Only empathy is defined. And and this thing so shallowly Mm -hmm. and so earnestly as if the solution is just mirroring back. I heard you say that um, all progressives are child molesters. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and the person said, yes, I did say that. Okay. Next topic. Yeah. Now let's pick that apart just for a moment. Assumptions, the paradigmatic assumptions upon which that is based mm-hmm. include, but are not limited to mm-hmm. that. We are mental beings first, Yes. that our wounding comes from not being energetically acknowledged or <laughs> receiving the right words from our parents as children. Yes. Nice. Um, that we are, um, it, it's the secular humanistic, uh, we are independently um, uh, siloed off. There is no greater, larger spirit. We're, we don't actually have a connection to other human beings um, such that we could actually relate in a way beyond the mind. Yes, correct. Yes. Um, uh, and, there was and about one other a dozen others, if you want. Yeah, to and about a dozen others. <laughs> it's about a dozen others that no no one involved is appreciating that that's what no. they're living inside of there. And that's why it was so uh, critical uh, in identities offerings to the world at this point to uh, a baseline uh, um, uh, inducement and invitation is to learn to think paradigmatically. Uh, that's one of the things you can think. And change, and it will change your life. Yeah. One of the few things that you can just think, yeah. if you start looking at not just what is being said in any paradigmatic worldview, paradigm or worldview, but why it's being said that way. Until you get at those, there's no amelioration between any conflict with an opposite worldview. Both worldviews have to have to have to take accountability and responsibility for why they hold. That what they hold, not just hold what they hold as sacrosanct, and everyone else, you must, you must uh, uh, um, let me have this, or else you hurt my feelings. If I can go to that uh, particular part, yeah. or you're close to another point of view, as if it's all at the level of discourse mm-hmm. and not felt reality and paradigmatic depth. Um, I uh, my first response to Brie was um, agape. Uh, uh, <laughs> Not that where we live uh, is really any sort of stronghold of spiritual depth, um, but uh, that 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 that's the level of discourse. Um, my See, if, if they got if they got that they were testing out the paradigmatic assumptions that energetic and verbal validation creates bonds, creates healing, creates <laughs> harmony. If they got like okay, fine, you're testing that. But if they got right. that they were testing that, they would right. find very quickly that it doesn't work. Right, right. Okay, so the other side heard what we said, but they weren't moved. But that doesn't matter. All that matters is we talk to each other, that we have a conversation so that our, our, our antithetical worldviews have a chance to ameliorate. Well, okay, so I, 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 I digested my agape moment pretty directly, and um, an often, often uh, uh, told phrase that, comes out of the hole in my face, the wet hole in my face, is that, well, you know, it's good that younger souls are starting to uh, examine this uh, this point of view, but 
God, I wish they'd read a little Spinoza or a little Kant or a little Adler or 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 Freud, um, and really get it here that that the reductionism by um, mm-hmm. um, uh, NLP, for example, the reductionism of all human intercourse. Uh, to verbal reality and mentalized ideation as the essence of a basis for relationality is just about the worst reductionism there is. Yeah, uh, well, it's control, which we talked about as one of the ingredients of false happiness last time. It, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's 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 a sophisticated expression of control. I'm going to yeah. clearly explain my point of view over here in a absolutely <laughs> convicted on the inside, but uh, spacious on the outside, maybe presentation. And then yes. you will, you know, it was like, hey, if that's an improvement over killing each other, yeah, then great. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> is that sure. where we are, though? Is that yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is, is that enough? Like, do you really yes. think this is going to bring peace on Earth by everybody oh. just energetically validating each other? Yeah, it's... it's it, was, it was sad, but sobering. Um, I, uh, I have... Uh, having incepted this paradigm, uh, I am unable to um, market it. This is a related uh, rabbit hole mm-hmm. um, because in in representing how ours is different than that, uh, the empathy project here in town, um, I, I find it very difficult. Uh, I I can go very um, specific in 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 deeply personal ways or really meta in spirit ways, but I can't kick the middle. I, I don't know how to translate identity for younger souls. I, I just don't know how. And um, we're building a, a new website at the moment, and Bree is just toiling uh, day and night uh, with, uh, with our website designer, to uh, Frank, uh, to uh, ha- ra- try to corral the, the monumental amount of information that identity yeah. has the capacity to offer into some malleable form that translates to younger souls. Elder souls don't need a lot of here's what it is, here's what it isn't. They will intuitively um, get it and be drawn to it. That's the why we don't sell. Yeah. And I, I, I consider myself uh, one of the chief students of that uh, very question. How do you interface with the world about it? And um, it's something that I think about literally every day. And yeah. I've experimented a lot. And what's, what I find fascinating is any of the individual principles of identity in a hot moment with someone, they seem to have a near instant recognition of the truth of it. Uh-huh. Yes, it, there's the, it goes even past the mind and registers somewhere. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and but at the same time, their protection mechanisms see it's the beginning of the jig is up. Yes. So mm-hmm. their soul recognizes the truth of it, and their protection mechanisms are like, yeah, let's get the hell out of here, and in varying um, amounts, so you can get both. Yeah. So what yeah. I find is it's very easy to get the beginnings of it across. It's sort of like learning German. It's very easy to <laughs> yes. learn in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, but oh. And then you start to get into the cases. Yeah, <laughs> and then it gets very, very hard fast, and people are like, yeah, I don't think so. And that's why, as we have said plenty of times, I'm sure, that the only people that are, are really um, good candidates for identity in terms of embodiment is for people, yeah. like we talked about last time, for whom happiness, no matter what they do, has not worked. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. 
So in that sense, um, I, I, you're, you're far better um, at, at uh, translating, as we've said so many times, to uh, more middle-aged souls who have our interest. But just uh, hooking on to what you just said, the people are not aware not only of the difference between the soulful take or apprehension uh, of something at, in any given moment and the protection mechanism. Not only do they not are not aware of either of those consciously, they're not aware of the difference yeah. between the two. And if you don't, you have to know the difference between the two. You'd have to make make headway in your own ensoulment arc of mm -hmm. uh, of psych of emoto spiritual growth, uh, because that distinction is at the heart of uh, identity's message that the consumer of identity uh, uh, cannot really get what the paradigm is offering until that distinction between their soulful take on what it's offering and its protection mechanisms not take uh, mm -hmm. is clear. I'll give an example here. Just this morning, I was talking to a client and I don't really know how it arose. And this is definitely not standard EBU protocol if there is such a thing anymore. But <laughs> I just felt guided to this person uh, tends to love other people a lot and doesn't take care of uh, themselves very much. So I was like, okay, feel, go down into your heart for a second and feel like, who do you love? She said, my children. Okay, great. Feel how much you love your children in your heart. Stay there mm -hmm. for a second. And I was feeling it with her. And then I said, now see if you can direct that love to yourself. And what happens? First, she went into her mind and started saying some, no, no, no. how does it feel? How does it feel? How does it feel? And the first thing she felt was fear. And we explored that and it was interesting and useful. And then that layer, and she really felt it, which is to her credit, she's very emotionally lush. And then there was a layer of confusion that happened. And both of those were related to childhood. And that was really good and cool. And then out of nowhere, she said, you know, what makes me most contented, use that word, what makes me most contented, contented. is when I, contented, happy and contented, she said, is when I start my day and I have like time to myself and I do this and this and this. And it was like a total non sequitur. And I was just amazed. It was like, it was as if I asked the question, how do you like to start your day? I didn't ask that. We were feeling like pretty deep stuff. And like confronting the layers of pain over her ability to feel self-love. Mm -hmm. And her shadow just showed up out of nowhere and was like, let me tell you what I do to make myself happy. Completely unbidden. What a deflection. And it what was, an, a reasonably, from their, from her yeah. point, Perfection's point of view, a perfect deflection. But it was, wow. but it was so weird about it. It's like usually deflections, like there's a segue. This was just yeah. like a total change. <laughs> And oh. it, it was great. It, it, it was okay. painful in a way, but it was also like, oh, like I, there's, here's your protection wanting to have their say in things. Yes. And uh -huh. so we went with it like that, but mm -hmm. it just was, it, it makes me, I'm, I'm thinking of this because like, this is how quickly and how unconsciously people screen out aspects of reality. And so right. here I was putting a finger almost literally on this is why you can't feel self-love and right. here's the pain here's the confusion here's how it relates to your childhood and then protection shows up it's like let's talk about something completely different <laughs> and she didn't even oh. realize she did it oh, yeah and and so exactly. this goes to this is why people have such a hard time taking an identity because their protection not only isn't interested it's right. specifically in, interested in pretty much everything opposite to it. Uh -huh. 
it's committed to not feeling, you know, and all of the other things, like not connecting with God. It, it's going against that intentionally. And um, uh, have you have you eaten breakfast? At, uh, <laughs> just, just remembered something here. I want to make ahead. sure you hold down your breakfast. Um, I'll intend to do that. This the, <laughs> this exact uh, uh, thing that you just said once was brought to me in a meta way by someone and said, how convenient it is that you claim that anyone who uh, uh, has a disagreement or, or doesn't feel your paradigm is worth investigating is, could only do so out of unconscious wounding. And, There's the universal versus absolute fallacy. Mm -hmm. Which I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that person said, game over, I'm out of here. Um, uh, I proved my point and smugly uh, yeah. uh, stopped the conversation because uh, intimating that um, if I make a, that only people who have unconscious material of resistance will not find interest in, uh, in identity. And which of course I wouldn't say exactly in all cases, I would say meta in a meta way, it's, it's soul age and that's yeah. fine. Um, so, but those that do approach the near horizon of what identity offers and then go away with that particular admonition. Well, of course yeah. I've always solaced myself, solaced. Can I, is it, can sure. I make a verb? Yeah, solaced. I like that. It's a good verb. I, I solaced myself. I solaced myself with it. Um, I couldn't, we couldn't have helped them anyway and that's okay. Yeah. And like, that's the risk of pursuing universal truths. There's, there's no way to avoid that. And, yeah. um, you know, I think of like, uh, before Pasteur, everybody thought that you, you know, sealed your milk in a bottle and magically things appeared in it, you know, from like another <laughs> dimension or something. And, you know, everybody, you know, how you're saying that there's these invisible tiny things everywhere. They must've <laughs> yes. thought he was mad. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, how does this all relate? Uh, we, we, we both got off on exactly the same page with an empathy-oriented um, uh, 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 rabbit oh, well, hole. And the, the, piece I, the specific piece I wanted to talk about related to the psychologization, if we can use that, I think that's now canon, is yes. that I found really interesting and um, I've been hearing a lot and relevant to empathy, resempathy, and uh, sympathy is the use of the term processing. Oh, go ahead. Because I, for example, I had a client recently who spent some time with their mother and we were supposed to meet and she was delaying it and delaying it and delaying it and said, I can't, I, one of the reasons which, why, why she said she couldn't meet because she was busy processing her time and her reactions with her, her mother. And on the inside, I'm going like, yeah, you process that with me. Like, that's yes. what I'm here for. <laughs> you don't oh. process those things alone, oh. you know? But, and then that's what got me really sober to like, oh, that term, it's now out there and people actually don't know what it means. And another, a different client today said she was talking about processing things in her dreams. And I was like, I never thought about that. No, I don't think that's processing. <laughs> no. That's no. a kind of coping. Yes. Uh, dream, dream analysis is not technique well you could say in a really marginal way it's starting a processing process <laughs> by symbologically abstracting yeah. the issues but the, there's no resolution in in dreaming there's only um a rolling kinds of symbology and iconology that uh, can help that all need to be secondarily processorily decoded outside of yourself 
uh, and you can't you can't do that yourself. Uh, maybe five percent of the time only. Well, and one uh, of our and again the reason for this because it's a really cool door into what EBE is to look at how we define processing, emotional emote emotive processing. Because mm-hmm. you could write fifty pages about this, what it is and what it isn't, but mm-hmm. that. Um, because one of the premises for identity is because our wounding happens in relationship with a parent, it has to be healed in relationship. Therefore, boom, right there, if you accept that premise, you can't process things alone. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little oh, bit, so maybe cool. in an exceptional. So if you have sure. really good differentiation with a part, that yeah. creates some self-other dynamic. But even then, I would think we'd have questions about whether it actually completes Yes. Uh, I've never seen an example of it completing. The best it can do is offer a watershed insight. Now that insight can then uh, uh, be linked to some other meta domains to make that insight really hit the the ground running Mm -hmm. with change. But uh, the most such things can do is, is provide insight, but that alone, insight is not the net result or goal of real processing. Uh, it's only a part, it's a way station. And there so. you go. There's there's the distinction behind the distinction because if people think that getting insights is what processing right. is and right. then they sit with something, feel it, it feels bad, then they get some insights and they're like, oh, I must have processed something. There's mm. that assumption of mental beings first, emotional second. Sure. It satisfies that assumption. I, I love uh, in this part of the conversation because when we say we shouldn't eat processed foods, <laughs> what we mean by that is that there has been a process that actually transformed in some way the raw product to the finished product. Mm. And what people call processing out there in meme land um, is not, is does not lead to a real transformation of the original state to a new state. It just puts markers along that possible later growthful road. And the proof so, is if it comes up again, it means it wasn't processed. Yeah. If it's, right. if there's still a trigger, if you have that dream again, or you have that feeling again, or have that reaction again, there's your proof. But instead, people look at it as like, oh, well, there's many layers of processing. There's the truth and yes. service. And right. that's true. But right. those layers, it's, it's not difficult to perceive that you're sh- um, shaving away layers to get to some core thing, not going in a non-processorial energetic circle where you're getting more and more insights about something. Meanwhile, you keep marrying the same person or <laughs> playing out the same uh, behaviors. Yeah, it's, uh, that is really the bottom, bottom line, uh, triggerlessness. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and that, uh, I, don't, I don't know if we talked about it, but that's, that's one of the hallmarks for healing in EBE. It is. And, and in the past, triggerlessness has always been taught and actuated by spiritual processes mm-hmm. um, in the past, pre-psychological, right? Mm-hmm. Transcendence. Transcendence will absolutely deliver a form of triggerlessness to you, uh, but it will not be soul deep. It will be behavioral, energetical kinds of um Triggerlessness. And the clue is you have to maintain the transcendence. There's a practice yeah. involved. Yeah. You know, you're working your practice. So like if you didn't get up at 5 a.m. and meditate for 90 minutes, you might be triggerable later in the day. 
Exactly. That, oh God. That doesn't count. That's that's <laughs> no. a workaround. That's wholesale workaround. That's oh, that's but, so true. But that's another good example of um, the psychologization thing of of healing, because though though because our protection mechanisms um, have sold themselves and each other around improving coping mechanisms. Yes. So emotional health and mental health is mostly how I was talking about it, is your ability to cope well with something. So, and I see this all the time, uh, and I'm sure you do too, where you're working with someone and they report how proud they are of um, a, a similar situation where they got triggered uh, and were able to manifest a different behavior. And they show up all proud, like, look, I didn't react. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that's good. But yeah. what did you do with the feeling? It was the right. trigger was still there. Right, right. Just because you were able to transcend it enough to not have it actuated doesn't mean it's gone. And these are the right. shallow waters that yeah. um, people starting out on the long journey of real transmutation just don't make distinction. Aren't taught to take to make distinctions about. So if you've been listening so far, what well, we've been going uh, not a little, just about thirty minutes. And uh, if to go, if you are hearing, what in hell are they talking about? Well, that is exactly the point we're trying to make uh -huh. because these meta, subtler kinds of background uh, uh, realities are just not. They're not. They're not um, real estate that most people's hearts or minds ever take into account in terms of what real change means. Mm -hmm. So if we, um, uh, I think there's a, a tenuous bridge between triggerlessness and the difference between sympathy, empathy, and yeah. what we call res empathy. So I we think we'll find it? many connections. Yeah, let's go there. Okay, so but we'll start with uh, the assumptive definitions um, uh, for those of you who like definitions of things. Uh, for identity, sympathy is um, a feeling um, uh, um, uh uh, something in someone else and supporting them uh, about something you yourself have never um, experienced. So if I've never been gored by uh, a bull in the running of the bulls uh, thing, and someone gets gored uh, in the running of the bulls in, it's in Spain, yeah, Spain yeah. uh, uh, I, I can certainly sympathize with their pain of uh, putting themselves on purpose, uh, trying to outrun horned bulls. Um, but I'm sure that really hurt. I, I can sympathize for that, but I could not possibly that. So that's the, fits the definition. I can care about the impact of someone going through something of which I had no experience whatsoever. That's the shallowest form of supportive relationality is sympathy. Uh, the next step uh, deeper, of course, uh, we would say is empathy. And the distinction that way is that you are caring about the impact of some kind of scenario on someone that's very similar to something you have already personally experienced. So if you've experienced, um, if someone is experiencing the pain of divorce and you've been divorced, of course, your empath your empathetic connect to them will be much deeper than a simple sympathetic one that could only be offered by someone who's been married for 40 years and doesn't even really like their partner. An important um, note about that, people feel that. They can experience yes. the, the very often the difference. And that's, yes. you know, that's, for example, why in therapy you usually need someone who's your age or older because there's certain kinds of like you've been through life certain life experiences marriage and having kids or whatever there's people can feel that 
Exactly. Um, so there's sympathy and empathy, uh, and those are both rungs on the ladder, uh, let's say downward rungs on the ladder from shallow to deep, uh, where the ground floor is what we, I had to make up a word as so many people criticized me for over the years. You can't understand this guy. He makes up words. And to which I would always reply, well, all words are made up. Um, yeah. That doesn't seem to dissuade many people anyway. But res empathy, I had to make up a word for it because um, there's something beyond caring about the impact of a certain life scenario on someone that that uh, you've been through yourself. There's a deeper version. And this is what the world does not really have conversational insight or awareness of. Res empathy is feeling, it, regardless of whether you've gone through it or not uh, with a person, a person can learn to feel so deeply that they will feel what a person is feeling while they're feeling it and often why they're feeling it. It's a triply, a triple dimension of resempathy. Um, and that resempathy uh, has two main dimensions of application in the human condition. The first and foremost, of course, is parenting. Yeah. Unless a, child, a parent can certainly sympathize with a child's pain or empathize with a child's pain. But resempathize with a child's pain is what's missing in our childhoods off the radar screen of every single parenting paradigm I've ever encountered. Do it yourself or otherwise taught. Uh, that is off the radar screen. So the most important part from resempathy, the most important dimension is parenting, without which, guess what? We will all form unconsciously an emotively inauthentic protection version of selfhood. That's how important it is. So there's, a, there's only one admonition, uh, one phrase in uh, the parenting handbook uh, by uh, identity, and that is um, become your emotively authentic self before having children. That's it. There's no other thing. There's nothing else to do. It's not behavior. Yeah. But, the, but the other dimension, that's, well, that could take us down another rabbit, set of yeah. rabbit holes. Um, but the other dimension is in peer relationship, friendship relationship, and helping relationships. Where, um, for example, what the example you gave earlier, you were busily um, feeling what your client was feeling while they were feeling it, and you were holding back some of the why until she unfolded all of the aspects of it until it got deflected, yeah. right? And so uh, we could say as a general rule that resempathy is what is the real mechanism, the real actuation mechanism of transmutation, not just transformation. We change our forms and behaviors and attitudes, but change, transmutate, change the actual fiber of our being. That requires resympathic guidance, resympathic relatedness with others. For it works so beautifully uh, in in marriage uh, or in long term relationship. Uh, Bree and I, seventeen years this year, is that right? Yeah, seventeen years, uh, where we can pick up what each other is feeling while we're feeling it. And about 50% of the time, why mm -hmm. each other is feeling it, that the other person can really take in then. The other 50%, uh, I'd, be, I'd be a little frightened in a romantic relationship if both of us had 100% ability to feel what the other's feeling while they're feeling it and exactly why they're feeling it. I think that would be way too codependent. Yeah, uh, it, it would definitely yeah. feel invasive in the beginning and be like, isn't that God's job to, do, yeah. to be being right. that? And there's another wrinkle in the fabric is that third eye people 
can do that without feeling it. They'll say, oh, I feel that you're da-da-da, and not know there's a difference between third eye resempathy and fourth chakra resempathy. And since a lot of the people who are attracted to identity have uh, uh, conscious or unconscious access to third eye because they're elder souls, this becomes a real sticking point. We don't know, I, I include myself in that category, how deeply I did not get the difference between third eye mediated res empathy yeah. and fourth chakra res empathy. Yeah, it's, I mean, I mean, this, this, is a, this is a big one for me in particular because I did this paradigm very much in my mind first for a while and then probably with a mix of third eye in it as well and then there was more third eye in there and then i would say i would say in the last year i've started to actually be able to feel people in any kind of reliable way where i can show up and have that intention or it just happens automatically but to be able to actually feel people in in any kind of reliable way took me like 15 years of work to, to do that well, I'll see you, raise you, and call. Uh, I, I'll be 72 this year, and only in the last two years of a long life have I been able to begin to discern the yeah. difference between fourth chakra uh, resempathy and third eye. Because I was endowed with a third, third eye immediately from birth, didn't have to learn it. It was wide open and has stayed wide open and became so default i was reading everybody at a third eye distance which is at arm's length it's not real relationality it's helpful it's informative sometimes it's critical for the next person's growth but it's not the same as fourth chakra mediated resempathy which requires a solid and healthy uh, uh seat in the first chakra which oh, I did not have. I didn't See? connect that. Yeah. Why? Why is that? Why can because you use your sixth chakra without your first, but you can't use your fourth without your first? Because um, uh, uh, fourth chakra, even though fourth and six are both uh, yin chakras, uh-huh. uh, as is two, uh, when when you when data from life experience goes in four, it can either go up to five, six, and seven, or down to uh, three, two, or one. There's a, there's a, uh, on profile, there's a junction in fourth. So uh, all the information that comes in this way through fourth uh, splits, and an equal amount goes up and an equal amount goes down, which can, uh, uh, degrees of which uh, change uh, depending on your transmutation uh, arc. But you can't actually activate a fourth shock roll horizontal relationship on, uh, with re- people until you fur your fur you're solidly in uh-huh. non-compensatory uh, bandwidths of first chakra real authentic ones wow yeah, so that, that makes that's sense. Um, and I and I because as Bree is so beautifully put so many times I had to do we say personhood first sagehood second uh, sainthood third and for very important reasons Nobody does that just exactly right, but by putting that emblazoned as the ideal, it can really clarify really important moments in, in growth, uh, uh, wh- wh- where that growth is coming from, a tra- uh, more of a transcendent or a third eye way or more of a grounded yeah. way. So in that sense, uh, um, 
uh, I started with sainthood, born with the feeling of divine being in every moment, uh, the divine God feel. Uh, I was born with a non-dual access for many lifetimes, uh, several lifetimes of non-dual enlightenment carried forward. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I, was made, I was made so different than most people by those sagehood and sainthood gifts. I never bothered. I, I, I had no way to get down deeply into my first chakra as a human being which is, accounts for all the 1.0 um, uh, pathologies that I exhibited in my overly um, uh, lush personality <laughs> so far so myself. Yeah, so for most I, people, I, we all compensate relationally that way. Nobody relates fourth to fourth automatically, but for most people, for the vast majority of people, it's just the mind-mediated, not yes. third-eye-mediated, and other using yes. other gifts like that. Exactly. So I had the hardest time. I made a paradigm that said there's no difference in the spirituality of the personal than there is the spirituality of the non-dual or the universal. Uh, and yet I could not embody that teaching until the ripe old age of my 72nd year. Um, so uh, this is re you're really um, disabled by uh, inborn spiritual gifts, uh, and I'm a classic example of that. So that's why um, my beloved and a lot of people around me um, have given me great patience uh, when they can uh, uh, for how long it's taken me to actually humanize my own uh, bloody being in the ways that my own incepted paradigm actually teaches. Yeah, well, you know what actually what hits me about that is I'm trying to think of like, where is there a paradigm or methodology that has standards so much higher than are embodiable? Like if it were gymnastics, it would be like, well, you should be able to get to a place where you can do a standing quadruple backflip. Like, yes. like nobody can do that, you know. <laughs> and like it took like twenty five years in figure skating to be able to do a triple axle, and like now yeah. that exists or a four minute mile, right? It took a really right. long time, and right. the, but the standards are so so high, and yet yeah. we seem to be able to keep making incremental progress toward this right. setup that you've uh, this paradigm that you've birthed forth. It's almost like it didn't really come from you. Well. Um... <laughs> It's a, that's a really interesting question I've been asked versions of for many years over time. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I used to say, well, I'm either the emptiest uh, consciousness on the planet and it was all 100% poured through all that emptiness, mm -hmm. or it was co-created in some way. Uh, mm -hmm. And my, my answer now is, of course, it was co-created. Yeah. It had ground up stuff at the same time it had top down stuff. And but uh, it doesn't really matter. What matters is does it speak to a person or not, not how Amen. it was in something. Yeah. But anyway, that's a really good point to make, a good rabbit hole we went down here that um, in, our, in our discussion here of our definitions of the difference between sympathy, empathy, and res empathy, that res empathy, unlike, uh, well, I'll say it this way, uh, they correspond, as you mentioned uh, in between here, to our three levels of um of uh, oh, yeah. emotion, feeling, emotions, and emotivity. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Uh, a feeling is just an energetic version, just like what sympathy is. I can energetically commune or commiserate with someone I haven't gone through the remotely similar kind of pain or caused pain. Uh, uh, that's feeling the shallowest version of, of uh, emotional reality. Then there are 
discrete emotions like uh, um, uh, pain and anger and uh, depression, well, grief, uh, a whole slew of real discrete emotions. And that's more uh, resonates, of course, uh, with empathy because there's a, an emotive-based commiseration because you've been through a similar thing as the other. And of course, res empathy is our capacity to have discrete emotions and secondary downline energetical feelings. So from that source place of soul, um, uh, uh, driven by the, the meta prana of I-Core, um, we, we res empathize because we commune soulfully with a person's uh, pain. That's a much deeper level, emoto soulful level of commiseration rather than an emotional likeness based or a sympathetic uh, commiseration. Because we swim in the same I core water. Exactly right. And yeah, so that exactly. means, like, what I sometimes will tell people it's like if I touch my head here with my finger and you were feeling what I was feeling, you would feel a finger on your head. That that's yes. actually how the heart is designed to work. Yes. And the only reason we don't automatically experience feeling each other's feelings in that way um, right. is because of wounding and all the layers of protection over it. Yeah. There's only two. Another way to say, Alice, to kind of sum this piece of it up is that there's only two ways to actuate real resempathy more shallowly from third eye, mm -hmm. which is inborn in many people, uh, cultivated or not. And the only other way to do it is by emotive, emotive soulful authentication of your lost soulful authentic being that occurred prior to your 12th year on the planet. For a lot of people, prior to their seventh or eighth year was already lost. Mm -hmm. So um, those are the only two ways to attain the ability to resympathically resume, relate to people. Yet, if we don't ever get to that, we're, we're, whether we realize it or not, no matter how much overwrought emotionality we may feel with and about people, we're not connecting. Yeah. We're not connecting from our essence to another person's essence. You can connect to another person's essence, soulfully, here or here, without the other person being able to, to, uh, to re, re, uh, echo back that ability. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been doing that my whole life, mostly from third eye. Was, I was never without this, but it was 90-10 most of my life, 85-15 at the most. Um, and now that's reversing. So um, it doesn't matter whether the other person, whether it's a, a, a husband or a spouse or a long-term uh, other, significant other, they don't have to have the same level of resempathy for you to be able to resempathically relate with them. The ideal, of course, is when two mm -hmm. intimate partners uh, have it equally uh, um, accessible and they do it with each other uh, co-creatively and, uh, and, and um, at this, uh, in a similar, uh, with similar motives at, at all and moments. The significance of this is, uh, cannot be understated, um, not just for um, parenting, but like it makes me think of uh, uh, in a book called In Search of the Warrior Spirit by this Aikidoist, um, Richard Heckler. He, uh, it was one of my entrees into spirituality in college. And he made the observation, he was talking, it's in a martial arts milieu. He made the observation that before there were weapons, um, if you wanted to hurt someone, you had to do it with your hands. Yeah. And you would mm -hmm. feel the bones break 
and see yeah. the blood, smell the blood, hear the screams. You you couldn't. You, it'd be very right. difficult to not feel the pain you were inflicting. Right. But as right. weapons technology has improved, you don't have to feel a damn thing. You can do it from ten thousand miles away, and you just that's hit right. a button and never see, never hear, never smell all of that. And that's why this is why we will say things to people in the privacy of our automobiles that we would never say if they bumped into us <laughs> in the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. You know, I love how you just uh, frame that, Joseph, because I remember a really, what's the word, um, not compelling, what's another What's another whole level more um, compelling than compelling? Um, That's a one great of the, question. A, a turning point in my life, I was 10 or 11 years old, and there was this boy down the block uh, who just was uh, talking, um, uh, what is this, smash? No, talking. Smack. Uh, you talk smack. smack. About, yes, talking smack. And uh, I was so incensed because 90, 90% of it were just lies because he was jealous of me. Um, but we were this, about the same age. And so um, uh, he was riding his bicycle, two-wheeler. Uh, we were 10 or 11, down the sidewalk. And I just stepped in front of the, um, the, the bicycle and sidestepped it at the last moment and literally clocked him oh. in the jaw oh, as he was slowing down going coming near me and mm -hmm. sent him flying off the bike uh, the bike fell down on his leg he kept rolling and and his whole he had a, his lip was bleeding horribly and he was crying and i broke i got i fell on my knees and started mm -hmm. crying with him mm -hmm. because in that moment at 10 or 11 i felt what i had done um, I couldn't stop it. And I was so surprised that a part of me who the, the one who's, who clocked him, um, I, I expected to be, have, get some satisfaction out of it, but yeah, I had yeah. zero and I just wept and wept and wept. And after that, uh, we became pretty good friends. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 and it was a really a watershed. That's the word. It was a watershed moment for a young boy because um, I realized I had a, like you, um, a whole lot of physical gifts of agility and I did the, the karate thing and gymnastics and I was very deft and agile in my body uh, and I had a lot of gifts but um, to feel someone that as you just said inflicting someone's pain uh, it's like people say uh, well I'll have no trouble if an intruder comes in my home I'll shoot him dead yeah okay reasonable I, I can buy that but be prepared uh, for the impact of killing someone uh, there are many, many people who felt justified in the moment to kill someone, and and I have a lifelong wound from that uh, later, even if they were justified. Oh yeah, I mean, look at PTSD and you know, uh, and soldiers like they're they're yeah. haunted by it. This is why Vietnam vets don't love talking about what they did in the war. It's almost it's almost impossible usually to get them to talk about it. Yeah, because it just hurts. Uh, yeah, I love that uh, those couple movies uh, um, from the '70s uh, about the Vietnam War and uh, that were so compelling in that way. So basically, we're saying that um, let's go back to our main track and see if we can find another rabbit hole. Uh, sure. That uh, the elements, uh, the differences between sympathy, empathy, and res empathy define the very mechanisms of relationality. Uh, well, yeah, and I wanted to add on to that because it's ahead. with that yeah. uh, martial arts metaphor. The, the, the world of uh, the, the strategic world in which we live is people not feeling what they're feeling and not feeling what other people are feeling and then trying to figure out how we should all get along. 
Oh God! Oh, I never heard you put it that way. I never. That I never. So hopeless, right? So oh they're God. all like, they're they're oh. not coming from their insides out, and they're not feeling inside people, and then they're just trying to strategize. What do we do? Yeah. And one, and then wondering why it becomes such a mess. Because if you're really, if you're feeling what you're feeling, and you're feeling what other people are feeling, then there's capacity for relationality. Yes. And then your behavior will automatically respect the reality of all of the people involved. So that's why identity can't say what society should look like and how we should govern ourselves. We just say, no, just feel what you're feeling and feel what other people are feeling and we'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. But we don't, we definitely won't ever figure it out if we don't do that. That definitely won't work. Lovely. So loving, loving, lovingly put. <laughs> Because it, it, then there's no strategy. You're just automatically centered enough in your heart to not have to know what to do. You will simply inhabit what you do. It will just come out of you naturally. So without that, we're in a constant state of weighing what the hell morality is. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Personal yeah. morality or institutionalized morality, societal morality. There's no basis for any moral uh, uh, system unless there is a distinction made between who's designing the morality and for what reason. Uh, the designers of the morality and their paradigm uh, are what's really appropriate uh, that has to be decoded and disassembled before we know what it really means to be a moto soulfully yeah. moral. In our society, if person A and person B both murder someone and person A, the very, well, like let's use our example, the very moment they murder them, feel yes. all the way to the core how awful it was, connect it somehow to their childhood, how they were beaten as a kid, for example, and feel that all the way through and feel absolutely terrible about it. They go to jail for the same number of years as person B who doesn't feel a goddamn thing about it. Yeah, no, unless no, it somehow no, comes no. out a little bit, you know, and the, the judge hears some remorse or, or something. But sure. there's no guidelines in the um, in the sentencing related to that. But but that is exactly the governing dynamic that determines yeah. whether they'll do it again or not. Exactly right. And that that what a tragedy, huh? That oh. is that uh, penal codes based on outdated institutionalized religious-based moralities have no psychological nuance, no yeah. uh, much less emoto soulful nuance uh, to the motives and intentions that drove the actions. So and is same with the, you know, the of code of conduct in a middle school, you know, let's say, yeah. should the oh, kids yeah. be expelled or not? Well, I don't know. Talk to them. Are they feeling bad about it? Like, did they do something with it? Did they actually process what happened or mm. not? You know, it's oh, frustrating. I remember uh, I was uh, bullied in high school, like a lot of uh, uh, um, uh, people are, men, girls and boys. And uh, I came home one day with a black eye because uh, I didn't have enough lunch money to hand over to the extorting. Uh -huh. I was a freshman. This person was a junior in third year. And he, uh, he meant to slap me, but he slapped me in the eye and I got a black eye. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I came home with the black eye and, and my father in one of his, bless his heart, in one of his rare moments of, uh, of uh, being able to resympathize with me. We found out where this kid lived and my father and my, me marched over. It was only about a 10 minute walk uh, from where I lived and uh, knocked on the door. 
And uh, uh, the, the father came to the door and my father very cordially said, listen, your son has been um, extorting my son for lunch money. And today he slapped him in the eye and gave him this black eye. And I just want you to know that and I want him to get that this is not appropriate. And so I'm going to you to say this. And the, and the father called called the, um, the, the, the son over and said, hey, you know this kid? Uh-huh. And, and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you do that? No, I just slapped him around a little. The father fisted and punched the kid in the face, knocked him down while he was inside on the other side of this of the of oh the uh, of the screen door. Uh, and the father and the father said, "There, we're done now. Okay, uh, he's punished." Wow, Hammurabi called. He wants his legislation back. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> There, even as a as a as a freshman in high school, I went. What's wrong with this picture? This, where did this kid get this from? And he uh, just got more of it. He just got more of it, right? So um, I felt bad for that for the guy, even though I hated him and and, and dreaded seeing him every day. Right now, uh, you're somehow causal for the kid to get hit. Probably not the first time. Yeah, and so I felt bad for him because I saw that the real. Even at that age, I saw that the real culprit was the father, not the son. He was raised that way, for that's the solution to any conflict, right? Physical force. So these are the kinds of things that that bear on uh, the ability to feel the impact of uh, of what of what who, what you have on uh, the impact on others i i say now more and more of these as i get older uh the very nub of relationality is the ability to, ability to feel your impact on other if you can't you're not relating you're literally not relating it's a it's one of the it's not the entire uh, 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 um, uh, dimension of relationality, but without it, relationality is not happening. So it's necessary, but not sufficient. Well, I'd go even, even further than that. It's like, of course, um, uh, most people can't do that, but, um, of the vast majority of people aren't even curious to desire to. Yeah. Oh, that's and right. You, mm-hmm. you don't have to, you don't need any training to be curious about how you impact people. That doesn't require a whole lot of work. It's just. Right. It's called a caring heart. Yeah, uh, like a, and you, and you don't even have to be caring, just like vaguely curious. Or, but I mean, um, I certainly didn't care about my impact on people until um, I was probably twenty-two. And one of my best friend, I think I talked about this on the podcast before, wrote a letter called "Shaps is an asshole," and that was my nickname then, Shaps. Uh, oh. Yeah, huh. I don't know if I ever told you that. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I found out that um, like when. My the people I lived with and the house I lived with, when a new person would come into our home or you know social circles or whatever, people would take the people. Um, my friends would take the new people aside and say about me, like, "Pay no attention to your first impression of him; it gets better." <laughs> what? I have to laugh because it was I was so out to lunch. I was really so narcissistic. And just uh-huh. so energetically bombastic and kind of funnily rude. And like, I just rubbed people the wrong way at first, probably because I was just incredibly socially anxious and didn't know how to be and all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff. But I was also a force of nature, so I did it loudly. <laughs> um, 
And yeah. so the, there were a couple of places where I had an opportunity to see that and I was not getting it. And yeah, my, um, my best friend wrote a two page essay about how I was an asshole. I mm. wish I had it today because that was the day I became a seeker. That was the day wow. because wow. I went, whoa, I'm not showing up the way I think I am. I saw, cause it made perfect sense. He was a very compelling guy and I, and I trusted him. And I saw like, oh, who I'm showing up as on the outside is different than the inside. And that was yeah. such a shock to me because yeah. I was so arrogantly, you know, thought I had my shit together that I was mm -hmm. like, I became obsessed with examining the split between the inside and the outside. Yeah. And wow. That was wow. the day. Before that, I was really out to lunch. I didn't care about my impact on people at all. So, so it goes. <sighs> Yeah. Let, let's downshift or upshift. I can't, I can't really, I can make it work both ways to another dimension of um, the impact uh, 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 issue relative to um, empathy, res empathy and sympathy. And that is um, uh, we, what we are mostly conditioned to, and I'd like your input on this part of the conversation too. Uh, we're mostly conditioned um uh, when self-advocating that we, um, we put a lot of emphasis on our truth, our truth, mm -hmm. right? This, this is important because of, a, of impact on others. It's a related dimension. Mm -hmm. And I did, I did that, um, most of my adult life until, uh, the event, uh, I, um, I primarily, and I was programmed to do that, you could say, in my mm -hmm. Akashic uh, records, because I had to evolve uh, the truth of the paradigm um, so uh, assiduously and um, exactly down to the smallest minutia looking for contradictions. The truth became my um, abiding reality, not knowing at the time the truth can be sourced by either will or love. Uh -huh. Uh, and so, uh, in this strategic world, we're either operating, most of us, tell me if you feel this is right, um, either on an absence of, of, of uh, expressing our truth in any moment or an overcooked, uh, harsh version of that. Under or uh, over truth tellers, right? Under mm -hmm. or over truth tellers. And while we're doing either one of those, um, our relationality factor, our RQ is in the pits. Oh, that now that's new. Old, over and yeah. under truth tellers is an old distinction we used to use, but but casting yeah. that in not both as non-relational poles, that's yes. really interesting. Yeah. And and there's really the only way to um, ameliorate the under or the over uh, is, um, is there's only two dimensions to it. Uh, the first one, of course, is to emotively authenticate. Uh, then you will not have these polar excesses as compensations. Too little truth. I'm too shy. I'm a wallflower. I, I enable people uh, right. in support. Or someone who's an edgy kind of leader and uh, knows how to um, to bring their truth and to so as to get positive attention. Um, emotive authentication, the EBE personal stuff will ameliorate that. But the only other way to um, dislodge truth driven by will as opposed to truth driven by love in the past has been spiritual work, uh -huh. not grounded, emoto-psychological. Transcendence. Uh, 
So again. transcendence again, mm-hmm. your favorite, your favorite bugaboo, uh, <laughs> and, and goddamn, it's right. Uh, mm-hmm. So identity for those that are still struggling to what the hell are they talking about, or what is this identity thing? Well, transcendence or altruism, like we talked about or, last or time, because the the devotional version, you know, service to others, forget yourself. I tried that. I tried transcendence and altruism in my twenties. <laughs> To get uh, out of my narcissistic personality <laughs> disorder, you know. That you were junior. giving a negative reflection about. Right? Yeah, right. Well, I, guess I'm, I, I mean, I was obviously selfish and self-absorbed, and I was too smart for most of the therapists that I talked to. It just didn't reach me. Same. Same. Um, so yeah, so I tried um, transcendence and altruism, yeah, and they didn't sure. get very far either. But So let's just take that one step further to complete it. Um, driven, truth driven by love... Um, has a couple of layers to it. Um, you can learn by emotive authentication alone to um, base your truth expressions in love at the local level. You, you can, that, that will do that. Um, but if the other dimensions are spiritual, the, the uh, soulful, the universal, or the, um, the uh, uh, sagehood or sainthood, will give you more room for the depth of love-based truth you can express from your emotive authenticated being. It will get, keep giving more and more room for that to blossom in healthy roots. Uh, it will give the, you can transcend your way, as you just said, to a love being a basis for your truth, but that's not, that's not what we mean. That's universal that's, love universal love and so often the distinction between universal love and personal love simply isn't um just made distinguished distinct distincted distinct well, because the, without res without without resempathy tripping over words too without resempathy we're basically left with mind mediated love or yeah. universal love yeah who, who's the who's the indian woman who gives homage Amaji, uh, she thinks that the uh, that uh, and a lot of people believe her at this in the new age that universal love is the panacea for detriment uh, deficiencies in personal love. Well, that's why we think unconditional love is how we're supposed to be with our partners. <laughs> Gee, I heard that somewhere. <laughs> Identity just beats the drum on this one so loud you need to take a anti migraine uh, tablet. <laughs> Uh, that and that that uh, universal love does not, in the least, address personal love. They're two completely different domains. Uh, it's not dense enough. Universal love is not dense enough to to uh, be rubber on the road applicable yeah. to hum- the human condition. You know, and here's it's such a great example. I've been thinking so much this week, looking places in society and just seeing everywhere our strategic selves are always trying to approximate what our souls are designed to do. Yes. They're oh, not yeah. wrong. They're not trying to create something <laughs> like totally artificial, like universal, like, oh, unconditional love. Right. I'll be unconditionally loving with my partner. And and it's always a truth and service. Like all they've got to work with is what is true, but what they can't actually do. Yes, and so they cobble it together and willfully, mentally, or behaviorally trying to manifest it, and then fail. Like yeah. everywhere in society, that's going on. It's so wild. Yeah. And like the it's it's almost like I mean, I wish I could just like download this onto paper because I don't think I could put it into words. It's like that's better proof that identity is onto something than anything else, because they're all trying to approximate 
what identity can unlock without any effort. Yes. Yes. It's like, <laughs> whoa, wow, I never thought of it. You know what I mean? It. They're trying yeah, to create happiness and content. We um, will lead people to joy and context. That doesn't, and it, it's the same thing, but without yeah. effort, without will, without control, without altruism, it's all, they're all, the, the, the strategic cells are all right in what they're going for. They just will never reach it the way they're trying to get it. It's so weird. Yeah, it's like trying to swim with um, uh, fifty pounds of iron strapped to your back. Uh, it's uh, it's not wrong, as you say, but it's perfectly mirroring the authentic capacity of us uh, when when we in soul or in our natural soulfulness. So uh, that's why the world is such a mess because uh, we're all outside ourselves trying to grow inside ourselves and we're all outside of ourselves and trying to relate to others instead of being inside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it's a, this is why the world is such a relational mess and all the dimensions we've spoken about today. Uh, it's uh, empathy, sympathy, and, uh, and res empathy simply um, give us a doorway in to really unfold what a truth and service mess relationality is in our human species. And the, the tragedy of that is seen every day in the media um, from uh, everybody uh, 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 on TikTok and Instagram. People are dying because uh, uh, they're seeing things on Instagram and TikTok. Well, here's a dare, do this. Um, oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and, and all the fast track DIY, do-it-yourself kind of stuff and middle-aged souls uh, and new age. And you just... If, if, if that one truth, as you said earlier in the podcast, Joseph, that you can't, since all wounds occur in relational space with our original uh, 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 family of origin, all healing must happen in relational space. You can't heal something out of the same, in the same, away from the same domain in which the wound was conceived and expressed. So um, truth and service, and boy, is another uh, big one. Uh, I'm glad you brought that in here near the end. Uh, using good truths in service of inauthentic, uh, in, uh, unconsciously inauthentic intentions. Mm. And that's, that, that's all deep dive stuff that psychology, neither psychology or current forms of uh, waking down or diamond heart, uh, the hardest mineral known to man, diamonds, mm -hmm. hard heart, uh, waking down, uh, thinking that uh, your your spaciousness and the non-dual, um, reducing everything to intention, not realizing the emotive motives that are being disabled when you wake down. Um, I love, it's a beautiful um, graduate school, uh, uh, master's level, uh, those two paradigms, but they could never get a PhD in soulfulness. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, they're almost not comparable. I mean, it goes back to the paradigmatic thinking um, stuff yeah. we did in the earlier episodes. It's like, I, I, I am so sensitive to when identity could sound elitist, but it's yeah. just, it's yeah. just based on an entirely different set of yeah. premises. Yeah. And right. if you really see how uh, what we've been talking about here, how the, the our strategic selves are the ones creating the modalities, other ones creating um, our healing vectors, are the ones who are redefining processing and, and and all of this. It's like, wouldn't it make sense? It's like if we seem to be so 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 far from any kind of functional civilization, 
Wouldn't yeah. it make sense that we need a set of assumptions that's entirely different than anything's ever been based on before? W wouldn't that make sense? Like, that's just critical thinking. Like, if you've been building a house and using a screwdriver as a hammer the whole time and it, the houses are not coming out that well, maybe you don't need to improve <laughs> your design. Yeah, it's the tool bag that's, uh, that's deficient, right? Yeah. Are you it kidding? Is. I've been using this for 20 years, centuries, thousands of years we've been pounding nails with this tool. Who are you? Unconditional love is one of those tools, yeah, right? Yeah, right. So I love that you put it that way because um, that I never thought of answering the um, admonition of elitism with the fact it's just a different tool bag. And it, that can sound elitist, but let's put it honestly, Waking Down and, and, uh, and Diamond Heart are scads ahead of, of a Scientology for, sure. as a basis for change. Yeah. Um, they're all, both of them are top-down, not bottom-up. They make, make noises like they're touch the bottom, but they start with the top and come down rather than start at the bottom and come up like identity does. And that's the simplest distinction there. And there's no elitism in that. Don't, don't buy into identity, buy into the other ones, wherever you're at, but don't call us elitist. We're just operating on different principles. Yeah. Uh, and testing those out. And testing, testing them out every day, every day. So uh, I think that uh, pretty much um, uh, takes care of this wonderful conversation today. And I love that we needed just three simple distinct, two simple distinctions between three factors to look at how much uh, information it generated. Well, yeah. And what I love is like we, we had the content defined for the episode and both of us arrived at the exact same context <laughs> independently. That's just wild. I, I love that stuff. I really yeah. do. So thanks uh, for this today, Joseph. Um, I'd like to uh, end my side here with um, just a, a sharing. Um, I'm going to try to do this a little more often. Uh, you do more of it than I do, and um, I, I want to do a little bit more of it myself, and that is self-reveal. Mm. Uh, these days, uh, because I was endowed at birth um, and had got it actuated later in, this, in terms of the sagehood thing, um, uh, I, I, I've been... Um, awakening downward, which has no relationship to waking down, um, as a way to bring my spirit into humanistic uh, uh, basis and, and flesh and blood, flesh, blood, and bone. And uh, every time I make a first chakra humanistic-based um, uh, uh, embodiment, they're all in bandwidths, and I keep adding bandwidths of a fresh iteration of first chakra health. Every time I do that, every time I make headway in personal, um, my sage and saint kick in another whole level actuated by the, uh, the grounding associated with personal um, uh, growth uh, in the real personal feet in the ground. I haven't walked on bare sidewalk uh, since I was seven years old. Uh -huh. And I started walking on bare sidewalk uh, the other day. Uh, and Brie is just out of her mind on that. Uh, uh, th th this is something she's never seen me do. Uh, Walking around barefoot. Barefoot. Like a hippie. Outside. outside. <laughs> I, I haven't done it. And I always knew somewhere in the back of my mind that um, that uh, there was something a bit off about this. Uh, uh, there's another whole dimension that's not really relevant that contributed to that. But um, I just wanted to self-reveal here that that this latest iteration of my first chakra bandwidth and embodiments 
have turned my brain to mush um, uh, because sage and saint have kicked in. And I've got a, I said to Bree the other day, I looked at my, I've got I'm a medical intuitive. I can see x-ray vision inside of people. And I looked at my brain and I saw my right brain had completely overwhelmed my left brain. <laughs> um, as a net result, uh, it's all white and like feta cheese crumbly uh, in there. I I can't I cannot sequence e- easily. I can't linearize equally. Bree asks me to come up with words for a a a, um, a, 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 a seminar we're doing in Europe next year, uh-huh. next spring. Uh, uh, I am just so lame, uh, and unfortunately, Bree's in the same position from the other side, uh, and so we're meeting in the middle and trying to sort out the everyday uh, uh, vagaries of our lives when both of us are disabled linearly. Yeah. Uh, in, in a yinic direction. Uh, so my right, my yin brain has overwhelmed my left brain. And uh, I'm I, the only way I can operate, I've done this whole talk today completely uh, uh, below my brain. I, I can't use my brain. I'm only arising uh, uh, from here. Uh. Somehow the words follow and make sense. But I, I had to. I had to completely unplug, or else I'd just be. Uh, 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 I should I have been. Tr- <laughs> well, I should have been trying to do that. I'm dealing with something similar. I think, though, I've been dealing. I've been pulling the words from above my brain instead of below. Oh. I think below would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's really interesting to me because when I when I evaluate and feelingly evaluate the sobriety of my brain, I mean, it it's like unplugged. Now, mm. now that's the way uh, strict, non-dual enlightened uh, people are. Their their brain, their brains are offline, and they learn. They don't. They can't really say where their words come from, except they arise in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. But here's a ground up uh, version that actuated another whole level of my sage and saint. My saint fountains like this, and my sage uh, 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 completely unplugs my linear. Linear, linear, linear reality. Oh, linear, linear reality. Cool. Oh man, that was good. All See, now they keep out of here, not out of here. Yeah. Uh, and so linear. it's really funny to feel my between my ears is all numb, but everything coming out here is so vital and got different bandwidths than if it was coming out of my brain. Mm. So that's just my self-experience that explains uh, where I'm at. And I, I have to tell you, just because it took me. 70 years uh, uh, to, um, or I'll say, be honest, 40, 42 years to be able to begin to embody the teaching of identity doesn't make uh, the truths of identity not true. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about how long it takes if you're out there struggling. Um, uh, it, it, we all cross the same desert of emoto soulful self-authentication, uh, sagely uh, access, and saintly embodiment. It's just a matter of how much, what piece of the relay race have we set for ourselves in this lifetime? The mm. whole enchilada? Uh, several of us have uh, made the whole the whole race down from the first chakra forward uh, uh, on this planet. Uh, and uh, But most of us are doing a certain segment of that emoto soulful authentication. So stick with where you're at and um, anytime you need a touchstone for what may seem not to be working, Maybe identity um, in its non-elitism, new set of premises may have something for you. Mm. Thanks, Stace. Uh, I want to share just for a minute or two about um, 
what do I want to say about that? That um, related to what is psychological processing or what we would say uh, um, emoto spiritual processing. The um, we have a little group that happened. When was that? Was that just this last weekend? Oh my god! Wow, it seems like two weeks ago already. That was Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, so, this is only one. Yeah, I became the 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 subject of our little impromptu group and um, uh, did do some uh, emoto spiritual processing that mm -hmm. uh, I didn't plan. There was no plans for that to happen. It just arose, and it just struck me how much like I've been working with this part with um your wife brie and i've been chipping away at it for a long time but mm -hmm. i was shocked at to to what happened when that part came out with a group of people who weren't even in the room this was mostly via zoom except for my lady who was by my side and mm -hmm. the terror was so intense it was hard to stay physically in the room and the um it just seemed like a relevant thing to talk about related to this people think they're processing stuff in their dreams or processing stuff <laughs> while they're standing in line in the grocery store or while they're driving no you'll know if you process something really at the core emotive level there's another person there and you'll yeah. know because some big part of you is going to wish anything other than to be doing it because it is absolutely terrifying because the last time we were that raw was yeah. as children yes. where we came out hugely open-hearted and ran into the brick wall wrapped in barbed wire of our parents protection mechanisms and vowed never to risk that again um, yes. that's how you know you're doing actual real emotive level processing um, yeah. and what has happened in society green has done with it our protections has done with it as it always does dilutes it down into mm. an approximation of the real thing so it can pat itself on the back and say see i'm making progress when mm. it's going in a circle usually at best or oh. or maybe a spiral maybe spiraling it, towards it something maybe a little spiral yeah I, I love that metaphor of um that we've talked about for years uh, if you uh, walk in a, in a circle around the mid height of a mountain if you continually walk in a circle at the same altitude, you will continually have new vistas as you walk around. <laughs> I forgot that. Yes. And oh, look at this. I've never seen this. Yeah. If you have a short attention span. Yes. Right. Yes. And oh, I don't remember this from that. Oh, oh, yeah, because it's been, it's taken me a whole season and now there's snow there. And they think that that's growth. Yeah. Um, uh, and in and, and this metaphor, uh, the spiral, not the circle, changes altitude. Uh, and yeah. you can metaphorize it either going higher, less dense, or lower, more dense. It doesn't matter. But um, you've got to keep, well, let's stay with the higher for the moment. Uh, you've got to keep spiraling at different altitudes to, to qualify for growth and identity. And it's so easy. And we all have our parts that do this to us. Mm. Uh, we think that circling at the same altitude um, uh, constitutes growth. And all that's doing is get, get garnering um, experience and using that experience to justify staying at the same altitude. Yeah, and also related to that, related to the whole psychological oh. processing thing and the, um, the psychologization of society is the idea that you can do it yourself or with peers. Um, if you are, have not... Um, hired an authority 
to yeah. play an authority for you, yes. given yes. your given authority to an authority figure, yes, who right. has the jurisdiction to push you and say and call bullshit on you, um, yes. then you're probably you're you're just not going to get everything you can get out of it. You just you're just not. Um, this is why elite athletes have coaches. They're the best in the world, and they've got someone pushing them. They're yes. way better than 99.9% .9 of the population because yeah. they've always had someone saying you can do better, you can go further. Right. We have different, um, of course, uh, uh, premises and assumptions about what how to define better. Yeah. But it's still the metaphor still holds. Uh, you, we need help, all of us, all of us, if we want to maximize the things that we put out there for the goals uh, of actuation and embodiment this lifetime. And I know my capacity as an Enneagram 3, my capacity for self-deceit is so deep that I still forget how how deep my capacity is for self-deceit. I, <laughs> I, I forget a couple times a year, it's like, oh yeah, I keep forgetting. I'm really good at deceiving myself. And that's why I've been attracted to people who would hold me accountable since I was you know, six years old, because yeah. I, I knew I needed it. Yeah. And that's the humility uh, and not the elitism of the embodiment of this paradigm. It's a, it, does, it does not create elitists. It creates humble self-advocacy uh, uh, from a purer place than we have ever been able to experience it before. Mm -hmm. So these are high, high goals, and we, all, we stand by them. Um, but it does require, uh, as we've been said this whole podcast, on almost, uh, uh, we could call it curiosity on steroids, um, <laughs> about hiding places that we justify uh, ourselves staying in. That'd be so cool if there actually was a steroid that could create that kind of curiosity. I think the closest thing, thing there is to that is meth, but that's not really emotive. <laughs> it's not really emotive curiosity. No. <laughs> People no, cleaning it's... their carpet with a pair of tweezers, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, it definitely gives you focus. Oh, oh that's for sure. But yeah. not soulful curiosity. Steroids, no. that would be something. No. Okay. Well, all thank right. you. Thank you, Stace. And thank sure. you all for listening. Um, yeah, just somehow I feel uh, sobered at the end of this conversation. So that's a good thing. Yeah. And I, I think adding these little bits of self-revealing at some point in our podcasts, uh, I, I want to do more of that. You do it sort of automatically, but you've um, inspired me to uh, do it myself. I too. don't. I, well, as I say, I don't do it automatically. As an Enneagram 3, I know, because that map is very good, I know that vulnerability is really good medicine for me. So I think I could, I could be, I could do it, I could do the revealing more vulnerably. Um, you know, um, it's a sort of a little bit of a performance frame that we're in. Um, uh, yeah. but, uh, it's also comes from my passion just to ground this for people into, um, reality and tasteability, seeability and practicality. That's, sure. that seems to be my charge this life. I'll tell you, I am so happy that your, your set of podcasts that, uh, you set up here and then I help co-create with you, um, is going to be a feature on our new website. Yeah, and so, so many. Uh, so we were worrying down to fretting, uh, down to the smaller pieces now. Worrying uh, is 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 wholesale, and fretting is is retail. Yeah, nice. I like yeah, that. I would say that. Yeah, uh, and so I know we're making progress because we're fretting now. Um, nice. Um, but um, all I would then one way it's it's not tr really true, but I wish it could be true. All we would need on the website is 
listen to these podcasts. Uh, <laughs> that's all. There's only 90 hours of them. <laughs> yeah, that's all. I mean, uh, listen to all of them and you'll, you'll know what this website is about. Uh, yeah. because, and, and in a really well applied way and not just ivory tower stuff. Mm. So um, that's never happened on a previous website of identity. Mm. And yeah, so to have, to have a live in intercourse like this uh, that we have had and what is this is almost 60 now 58 63 50, today 63 my god uh Bree's birthday uh year we've got now equal mm-hmm. that so um that to me i just want to thank you for all from bottom of my heart that that is now an asset uh, yeah. these podcasts, uh, on our website yeah. so you can bear two guys uh who usually amp up each other into manic um, uh, uh, levels of um, excitement and uh, about a new paradigm of the human condition. Guilty as charged, and yep. uh, you'll, get a, you'll get a real good flavor for it through our personalities and our struggles to embody it. Yeah, and we're both uh, pushing, at least I am, uh, my, my, my lady and your wife. We're trying to get them to do a podcast too, which I would help produce. Oh. I think that would be great. Oh baby, uh, yeah. that what a wonderful thing that would be! Uh, uh, for the yin, it would wind up in the with the same as based in the same goal, but a yin track rather than a yang track, and uh, especially relevant now in the, our yin age of yin divinity. So I hope that starts before the end of the year. I really do. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to nudge my lady about that again. In fact, yeah. I think they're in a meeting right now. I might just walk right now. They're yeah, in a meeting. I'm going to walk the over there. Exactly. That'll be weird. I'll walk. <laughs> That'd be so strange because I'll be like virtually walking from where you are to where your wife is, except over here and through Zoom. That's that's a weird oh, thing to be able to do. Oh, interesting! Walk into another room in my house and find your wife on a screen. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Talk about interpenetrating uh, dimensions, right? Wow. Totally. So holoarchal. Very. Um, yeah. Exactly. One day it'll be like if the, that all over your house. There'll be screens and people. And <laughs> oh my God. I hope not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, okay. Thank you, Stace. Thank you, Good listeners. Bye. Until next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.